If you have not met me before, my name is Andrew Stroud and I'm the project lead here at End of the Harvest. And our mission is all about helping ordinary believers take the message and the mission of Jesus out of the building, out of the sacred spaces, and into the everyday places of life. So today's conversation on refocusing your discipleship is really right in line with what Into the Harvest is all about. So I'm glad that you're joining us. If you know someone who you think might be interested in this topic of refocusing their discipleship, go ahead and tag them in the comments so they can see this video. They may not be able to join us right now while we're doing the live, but um, <clears throat> they'll be able to join us later uh, whenever they've got some time. Um, also, right here at the outset, something I want to let you know is that um, this video is actually going to be the first of a four-part series um, that we're calling Ancient Faith in Modern Times. And we're going to be doing uh, one of these live conversations um, every Monday in February. So this is the first of those that we're doing with Cecil Bean, but we'll have some each week uh, going forward in the month of February. So I hope you're able to join us for as many of those as uh, possible. And when we think about uh, ancient faith in modern times, um, I'm excited about that because I believe that every generation has to renew the faith um, for their time, uh, for their culture, for their context. When we think about faith, um, it's not a static thing. So the, um, the object of our faith is unchanging. So Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the way we live out our faith um, needs to change so that it's, it's relevant. Uh, it's relevant in our lives and it's relevant to um, the generation that we're a part of. So when we think about uh, living out an ancient faith in modern times, that's really what we're talking about is how do we, how do we live out the, the faith that has been passed down to us from generation to generation in a way that makes sense for our time and for our generation. So every Monday this month, I'm going to be joined by a special guest to talk about a different topic that will help you better live out um, the ancient faith that we all share in the modern times that we all live in. So I'm going to bring Cecil on here. Cecil, if you would, let me see if I can find you. I saw that you left a comment further up. There you are. So I'm going to bring Cecil on here. But while I'm doing that, go ahead and uh, tell us where you're from in the comments. So um, we've got people watching from literally all over the world. So it would be fun to see uh, where you guys are coming from, where you're watching from. So just quickly right there in the comments, uh, tell us the city, the state that you're watching from tonight. Um, as I said before, we're going to be talking about refocusing your discipleship with Cecil. Uh, Cecil Bean has played an important role in my own life. I met Cecil when I was 20 years old, and from the time I was 20 until I was 27, uh, Cecil discipled me. Um, we worked alongside one another very closely, making disciples there at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And before I met Cecil, about a year before I met Cecil, 
I had begun to follow Christ. And oftentimes I say that before I met Cecil, I had a pretty good idea of the thou shalt nots. All of the things that I'd been doing before I began to follow Christ that I, I knew instinctively that I needed to stop doing. But, but I really didn't have a clear picture of the, the thou shalts. What was it that I was supposed to start doing so that I could live for Jesus? And I would say that Cecil really helped me get a great start in figuring out what are, what are those thou shalts? How do you go about um, living out a faith? How do you go out in a positive sense following Jesus, which is maybe one way of understanding what discipleship is? Um, so Cecil is someone who's very important in my own life and was very instrumental in helping me figure out this subject of discipleship. Um, I would also say that of all the people that I've had the chance to meet and get to know um, in my life so far, um, Cecil probably has one of the most developed understandings of discipleship. Um, and I've watched him live it out for the past 25 years. So um, I'm really glad to have him on. Cecil, thanks for joining us tonight. Welcome. All right. Well, I could hear you, so your audio is working. Um, well, I think an obvious starting point for us tonight, Cecil, is just to, to try to explain what we mean by the term discipleship. I mean, that's a word that gets used a lot in Christian circles, and I would say that most believers are probably familiar with it. They, they've heard the word, and they might even have some sense of, of what the meaning behind discipleship is. Um, but they might be surprised to, to find out that the word discipleship is not actually found in the Bible. The topic of discipleship and principles of discipleship are found throughout the scriptures, but the word itself is not. So I thought I would throw out a, a quick explanation of discipleship just to get us started. And I would say that discipleship is living a life of devotion to Christ. So it's how a disciple goes about living his life. That is discipleship. And I would also say that we can oftentimes lose our focus um, or get out of alignment when it comes to living this life of devotion. So refocusing our discipleship is, is something that, that we want to talk about tonight. How do we bring this life of devotion back into focus? And how do we live life in alignment with, uh, with God's purposes? So so let's start there, Cecil. What would you say, what do you think causes sincerely minded believers to lack focus or to get out of alignment when they're trying to live out this life of devotion? A uh, verse popped in my mind as you were talking about discipleship from uh, Luke uh, 6, 40. Many of you all know about this verse. But it says that a student who is fully trained will be like his teacher. In Matthew 23, uh, 8 through 10, Jesus said that you only have one teacher. That's the Christ. You only have uh, one Lord. That's the Christ and one <laughs> Father. So uh, I believe that Christianity is about the Gospels, is about Christ. 
that sounds offensive to people because they think that I'm downplaying the Old Testament and the New Testament. I think both the Old and the New are equally inspired. But I think that uh, the Old was uh, what Galatians called a tutor or, or a, uh, a guardian. It was to take us somewhere. It is equally inspired. It, it has the character of God splintered all the way through it, and therefore essential. I read it every morning. I wouldn't consider not reading it. But I, but I think Christianity is about Christ. And so I think the New Testament, on the other hand, is, uh, is really a continuation of Acts. It's, uh, it's the carry-through with the Great Commission. And so uh, it's full of, of uh, new uh, ideas that Paul brings in. Uh, I read it every morning. But that is not where I, I'm seeking to emulate. I'm seeking to emulate uh, my one teacher. Yeah, when we were having a couple of preliminary conversations in preparation for this particular uh, broadcast, uh, we talked a little bit about that and how um, you have what I would describe as a hyper focus on Jesus. And in some ways, I think if you told, if you made the case to Christians that the Bible is about Jesus, maybe it really wouldn't be that controversial. But if you actually start to, to act on it and live it out and, and put the emphasis on Jesus almost in an extreme sense, Maybe that's where folks begin to to feel a little bit squeamish about uh, overemphasizing on Christ, which seems like it would be really hard to do. So I know you wanted to uh, to give a little bit of a disclaimer here at the outset. Do you feel like you had a chance to do that? Well, I uh, y'all have heard the uh, the 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 made up story that if you get all the godly men together in one room and talk theology, you'll, you'll end up with a fist fight. Uh, I think uh, uh, sincerely minded believers see things differently. And uh, apparently uh, God could have been a little clearer on a lot of issues, but he chose not to, uh, uh, not to answer all the questions that we would love for him to have answered. Uh, one of the verses that I, I love to talk about is in uh, Luke eighteen thirty one, and uh, uh, where Jesus talks about that he's going to Jerusalem. Uh, he'll be handed over to the Romans. They'll be mocked, uh, shamefully treated, spat on. He'll be flogged, whipped, killed. Third day he'll rise again. And in verse 34 it says, uh, but the disciples didn't understand any of this. I think if we have the wrong concept of uh, the wrong paradigm of Christ uh, and that he is not our primary teacher, I think we're going to be all over the map. Uh, one of my favorite verses is Genesis one twenty six. let us make man in our image. I think God intended for everyone to look like Christ. Hmm. And I think the Old Testament uh, began it with a law. I think the New Testament uh, is really a nursery. It's starting uh, with baby Christians, uh, helping feed them. Uh, but I think the end product is with the Gospels. So uh, I have, uh, therefore, to listen to what I think 
is absolutely unimportant. Uh, so what has to be done is someone has to uh, uh, examine to see whether there's grounds in what I'm saying. Uh, so what I would challenge people to do is to is to begin to look at at Christ uh, a more in a concentrated form. I know that Paul said in Colossians two three that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And and I, I just have a a few verses I want to just throw out and to try to stimulate you to begin to examine whether Christ might be uh, the right direction. There's a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, uh, do not reject prophecies. And that's what this is. This is a prophecy. Uh, but he says, examine them. Hold of that which is true, let go of that which is not. And so my challenge to people is to uh, examine uh, the person of Christ more closely. And uh, and uh, one of the verses that I happen to have just in my quiet time this morning was in, uh, I was in uh, uh, Matthew 11. And uh, when I read in 11, 27, it says that the Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father. Didn't we? Oh, we okay in? Yeah, I, I had. Oh, I, I, I know. I, I, I got some kind of email, so that paused me for a minute. So, uh, okay. no, no one, no one knows the, the, uh, uh, the son, but the father. So, we don't know the son as well as he can be known. And then Jesus, I'm getting all, all these birthday uh, things. <laughs> uh, uh, no one knows the, uh, the, the father except the son. And then he says. Uh, and to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So I think that somewhere there's got to be a revelation, according to that verse, from Jesus to, uh, uh, to begin to let us know. And I, th I think there's ways to, to uh, uh, develop that. Let me give a couple more verses before I move into another section here. You know, uh, verses like... Uh, Verses like John 1.18, it, it makes perfect sense to me. Jesus has come to reveal God to us. So if we want to know God and we have the Bible as our objective, we're going to be so overwhelmed. Hmm. It's going to be difficult. Uh, Jesus says in, in John 8.19 uh, that uh, uh, if you know me, he said, you'll know the Father. And so if our objective is to know who Yahweh is, then there must be an, a, a concentrated uh, effort to understand who Christ is. And then uh, another one I uh, wrote down was, was I want two more. One of them is, is, uh, is John 12, 26, that Jesus said, whoever honors the son, the father will honor. So this is moving into your question on how we can accomplish this. Uh, I have one one last verse I want to I want to read you that uh, that these are the verses that I'm collecting and uh, I have I have literally dozens of them so I'm beginning to be convinced that there's more to Jesus than what most people think so let me read you one more verse it's in Second John nine and ten 
And just if this verse uh, doesn't do the job, I don't know how else to communicate it any better. John said, whoever transgresses and does not remain in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Because the teaching of Christ is God's teaching. So to reject Christ's teaching is to reject God's teaching. It makes perfect sense. He says, whoever remains in the teaching of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Then he says in verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. I think the early disciples were not fixated on the Bible. They were fixated on Christ. And I think what we've done was we have uh, we've muddied the waters uh, by trying to uh, uh, aim at the target rather than the bullseye. And you would you would define the bullseye as Jesus Himself, and the the target, everything that's that's pointing us, that's that's bringing our attention to that that bullseye would be the Old Testament, the prophets, the law, the New Testament, the writings of the apostles. They were they were all trying to direct people's attention to this this ultimate revelation from God which was God's son himself, God in the flesh, Jesus come down to earth. I, I also was reading in the gospel of John um, this morning and I was reading chapters 13 and 14. And, you know, just similar to what you said um, there, you know, John, John, John records that Jesus's uh, instructions to his disciples were, I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. And Jesus he couldn't give that, that commandment. He couldn't make that statement to his disciples at the outset. This was three years into his time with the 12 because he had to model this life of devotion. He had to, he had to reveal um, the truth of the Father to them before he could then turn around and say, I've given you this, this example so that you also should do as I have done to you. So we're talking about living out a life of devotion one of the quotes that has helped me stay on focus recently is that Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. And I think for a lot of us as Christians, we find it very easy to slip into the fan zone where we, so a lot of people would agree with you in the sense that, okay, yes, Jesus is, he's the focal point. He's the bullseye, but they're thinking in terms of being a fan um, not so much that they're actually going to try to pattern their very life off the example that Jesus himself gave us in the way he went about uh, living life. So can you talk a little bit about that? And maybe what was it in your own life, your own journey that brought you to this point of having a hyper focus on Jesus and trying to really pattern your life after what you saw him living in the gospels? When I became a Christian, when I was 19, I did something that uh, I think may be a weaker in today's conversions. I promised to obey God. I remember saying that specifically. So when I got out of the warehouse and uh, looked down the aisle at the Army surplus store, my, uh, my evangelist uh, was there, and I asked him, what now? And he said, now we get into this, and he raised up his Bible. 
I had a, uh, a mentality of, uh, of not only receiving Christ, but obeying. And mm. I uh, continued to mm. grow with somewhat zeal for the next uh, 14 years. And my objective was to just be a, a better and better Christian uh, as, as I could. I certainly had my periods of prodigalness and disobedience, no doubt. But one day at Fort Campbell, uh, having already been made navigator staff, one of my friends named Bobby Little uh, gave me a series of tapes <clears throat> to listen to. And when I listened to those tapes, I can only remember one thing of those eight tapes that I listened to, that the way God wants to be loved is through people. And uh, I remember it, the, the epiphany hit me, and I thought, how can, how can I read the Bible for 14 years and miss what I think was a jugular? And, uh, and I, when I look at the, the disciples, it's the same way. They, they're struggling at, at trying to figure out uh, things about Jesus that he's not telling them. And so uh, once I began to, this epiphany hit me, then I began to uh, create greater focus. Up to this time, I was reading the Bible from cover to cover, meaning that I was only getting one-thirteenth of Christ, four books divided into by 66 books. I was getting one-thirteenth. And so then I began to change my focus. I'm going to start spending more time rather than the narrative of the Old Testament and uh, the, 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 the saucers of milk in the New Testament on what Christ was all about. And I think that began to uh, grow in my mind so that I got to, to the point that a picture, which is the life of Christ, is worth a thousand words or a thousand commands. Hmm. And so now that I, I, uh, I think Jesus not only was trying to purify the teaching of the, of the law in what, with what he said, I think he was also giving us an example on how to develop leadership for the next generation. And so once those puzzle pieces that came slowly and over a period of years uh, has led me to this point. Um. Well, I'm going to come back to what you were just saying there, Cecil. I know we've had some folks who have joined us partway in. Um, we're talking about refocusing your discipleship, and, and discipleship is what we're describing as living a life of devotion to, to, to God. So for those of us who believe in God, and we believe that the way we live matters, that God wants us to live in a way that is devoted to him, what's the best way about uh, of going about that? And how do we get ultra focused on living a life of devotion uh, to God? And so that's what Cecil and I have been talking about. Um, if you're just joining us and you know of someone who you think might be interested in this topic, tag them in the comments. Also, we're going to hopefully have time to do some Q&A with Cecil. So if there's something that we're talking about that you would like to ask a question on, leave that in the comments. And if we have time at the end, We'll, uh, we'll try to address that with Cecil. So I was joking with Cecil that when I first met him, I think um, I would listen to Cecil teach um, every week for about six or seven months. And I, I would sometimes struggle. In fact, I would always struggle to, to follow exactly what Cecil, the points that Cecil was making. Um, 
And then after about seven months, I could follow, okay, I think I, I knew his way of thinking good enough that I could follow his points. And so part of what I hope I can do in this video is, is bring some emphasis to some of the points that I know um, you're, that are important to you, Cecil. So one thing that you mentioned there was that at the very outset, um, you had a radical commitment to obedience. So even though you might not have a lot of certainty about what you were supposed to obey, from the very beginning, there was this basic commitment that you were going to obey whatever God would reveal to you. And uh, there was a similar commitment early on in my own journey with Christ. So that's one thing that I think is important that we need to have as, as followers of Jesus. If there isn't that basic radical commitment to obey, then it's going to be impossible for us to have um, a life of devotion to God. And then you also talked about um, losing the focus on Jesus by, by reading the books of the Bible um, in proportion, that the Gospels, the, the, the books that describe Jesus specifically, are four books um, out of the Bible, which if you're reading Old Testament, New Testament, then just by sheer volume, you're going to get less focus on Jesus. Can you, um, can you talk a little bit more about the example of Jesus and the Great Commission? I know that's something that we had touched on in some of our earlier conversations. How does the Great Commission give us focus when it comes to living this life of devotion? Uh, one of the uh, things that have hit me uh, in the last uh, six months was that uh, when Jesus told the disciples that uh, I'll be going to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. And in one of the, uh, the passages, Peter said, uh, you know, not on my watch. And, and of course, uh, uh, they began to talk about who's the greatest. And uh, uh, rather than uh, get behind me, Satan. So there, there was confusion with exactly what he meant by dying. Then when Mary comes to the, to the tomb uh, and finds the angel sitting there, uh, she said, uh, or he, he said, why are you looking for the, the, the living among the dead? And he said, uh, he'll see you in Galilee, just like he told you. And then I like what passage says there, I told you. <laughs> he, knew he, he knew he had to get that out there. And then later, then, so she leaves the tomb, and then she <laughs> finds a gardener. And whatever the angel said didn't register. So she tells the gardener, if, uh, show me where he is so I can retrieve him. And, you know, Jesus is Mary, and, and uh, he, he, he says two things. Don't cling to me. Then he says, uh, tell the disciples I'll meet him in Galilee. Uh, so, uh, that's where the Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is all about. So he meets him in Galilee. John says that if everything had been taught, uh, were written down uh, about Jesus, it would fill the whole world. So he must have did a lot of teaching <laughs> to them. And they summarize it into four books. And now he's got something else to say to them. So he shows up in Galilee and he gives them the Great Commission. And uh, to me, uh, I fixated on this Great Commission. And he, here's my rendition. 
is he tells them to go into the non-Christian world. Go into all the world. Up to this juncture, stay away from all the world. And so now that's why we need Paul and the New Testament to watch how this thing unfolds. And then he tells them, uh, uh, let me just read one verse in this area that I think we've got this wrong picture about how Paul preached the gospel. We think of it in Romans, and uh, we look at it kind of watered down. In Acts 26, 20, Paul was talking to, uh, was it Agrippa or was it, uh, Agrippa? And he said, uh, 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 yeah, he said that uh, I went to Damascus, Jerusalem, uh, throughout Judea, uh, also to the Gentiles, that they must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good things they do. Hmm. That was the gospel Paul preached. We think he preached just a, you know, a bow your head and pray. That is not how John the Baptist introduced this thing in John 3. And so we have a raw, we're getting, we're opening the gates to a lot of tears in the church. And that's too bad. The second thing in the Great Commission is that they uh, were to make disciples. And uh, what they had was the law of Moses and Jesus' clarifying of the law of Moses. And then thirdly, he said, now, now, teach them what I've taught you. And so this, uh, the, the, uh, the, the nations is the basis, is evangelism. Discipleship is, is growing them, but we want to get them to the point of what Jesus was teaching and showing them. And that's why I think we break down. I think we aim at the first floor when we really need to aim at the third floor. And I think I may have been overdoing the third floor because a lot of people feel like I don't value the first and the second floor. And boy, that could not be true. If they would have tracked my life, they would have known that I have not lived that kind of life. But I realize now that... Uh, that if you aim at the first floor, you may not make the third. If you aim at the third, you have to have the first two. All right, so this is where I earn my money by trying to uh, speak back <laughs> what you just said. Um, because what we're talking about is the Great Commission. And you're really drawing out three elements of the Great Commission. So when Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always. You're talking about three floors um, that, that Jesus is, is giving us there. And so the first one is uh, to, to go, there, go into all the nations and proclaim, proclaim this message, um, announce to people that Jesus has come, that he's the Messiah, and that he's calling people back to God through repentance and through faith. And he's made it possible because of the death that he died on the cross for our sin. So this, this what we might call evangelism, uh, letting people who don't yet know Christ know about him and then inviting them to become his people. So that would be the first floor. Am I hearing that right? Yes. Okay. And then the second floor is make disciples. Is that correct? Yes, and with the law of Moses and the clarity that Christ gave. And the third floor is teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Which you've got to understand the Gospels to know that. All right, so, 
So in terms of bringing a focus to our discipleship, um, the Great Commission is, is a call for us to be involved in the mission of Jesus. Um, and, you know, Cecil's describing it in those three levels, all of which we need to, to give ourselves to, uh, not just evangelism, but making disciples and training up the next generation of disciple makers teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded the 12. So uh, even as we were doing a, a little bit of prep for this live, you know, I said, teaching them to obey. And Cecil said, no, uh, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, Jesus, uh, to the 11. It's a very specific uh, set of instructions that Jesus was telling the 11 to pass on they were supposed to teach the next generation of disciples to obey the commandments that Jesus had given them. So, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate that Cecil. Um, and maybe if there's some questions from those who are watching, they can leave those in the comments and we can try to break that down um, even further. I think for, for those of us who are believers in America, um, when we, again, we're talking about sincere-minded believers, people who want to live a life of devotion to God. I think what oftentimes happens is when we move into the, the how of discipleship, how are we going to go about living this life of devotion? I really see American Christians skewing in two directions. On the one hand, you would have people who are pursuing discipleship as an intellectual pursuit. And what I mean by that is what counts is that, that we have the right beliefs, that we believe the right things, and that we make sure other people believe the right things. So it's a very uh, intellectual pursuit when it comes to discipleship, that, that that's our idea of what's going to please God, is that we have orthodox belief, and that we're passing that orthodox belief on. That's one side of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum can pursue discipleship from an emotional bias. And so the way that they believe that, that they're living a life of devotion to Christ is when they feel close to God. And so oftentimes they'll, tie, they'll try to fuel that, that emotional devotion through singing uh, praise and worship music or listening to praise and worship music or by, by listening to charismatic um, pastors who evoke that kind of emotional response. And if they feel close to God, that becomes interpreted as, well, I'm living a life of devotion. God is pleased with me because I, I feel close to him. So when I think about refocusing our discipleship, these are actually two of the, the, the ways that we can get out of focus or that we can get off track when it comes to living a life of devotion to Christ. If, if we think of it as simply having the right beliefs and passing the right beliefs on to others. You know, Jesus can really be um, reduced down to a very small piece of that, of that puzzle. Uh, or if we think of it as feeling close to God, that we've got this emotional connection. Again, Jesus can be completely left out or minimized in that understanding of discipleship. And so it really takes us back to Hebrews when it says we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, uh, knowing who he is, but then also knowing what he taught and trying to pattern 
our lives off of that. Well, I'm going to ask Cecil one more question, and then we'll move into some Q&A. Um, Cecil, what are some practical, practical things that you've done or that you've encouraged other people to do to refocus their discipleship around Jesus? Well, I've, uh, sometimes I have some one-liners that get me in trouble uh, that are sometimes taken a little bit out of context, but I probably deserve it, that I tell people to, to uh, stop reading the Bible. Uh, it's, it's just choking you up. Start reading the Gospels and now begin to read the Bible in light of the Gospels. And uh, uh, that's, one of, uh, that's one of my challenges to try to get them to see but I may not be able to get people to see what God hadn't revealed to them. So I realize I'm, uh, I can only take the horse to water. Hmm. And uh, they may have to uh, learn it the, the same way I learned it. Uh, and who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. You know? So I, I always want to uh, realize that, that I can't be right on everything. I just don't know where I'm wrong at. Uh, hmm. So I, I don't know. Other than... Uh, there, there is three things that I, I tell people that I'm looking for uh, in their development. I, I want them to be able to uh, deal with uh, a sin in their life, to, be, to have to face it and, and fight sin in their life. And the second thing is to begin to, uh, uh, to uh, become disciplined. Uh, being a disciple comes from the word discipline. And so you, you have to have a disciplined life. That just goes with the definition. And then, uh, uh, and the word is is that paramount in that area of discipline. If they don't get in the word, they 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 cannot survive because they'll be instructionless. And then thirdly, is I tell them that they need to reach out because mm. without reaching out, we become uh, uh, we're not uh, identified with Christ. And I don't mean by hitting people over the head with Bibles, but I mean opening up conversations with people we're around. And you can do this in a very non-challenging manner. So it's those three things that I, I, uh, I, I goad people towards in order to uh, get them to uh, develop. Yeah, I would uh, just offer a couple of, of thoughts here. One is uh, renew your focus on Jesus and, and take it to a level that most of us have not appreciated. And so one way I try to say this is, I, I think most of us, if, if someone said, you know, there's more to Jesus than you currently understand, then most believers, most Christians would agree with that. Like, yes, there's, there's more that I need to know about who Jesus is and what he wants from my life. But I, I think we can easily fall into the mindset that, We've got Jesus 90% figured out, and sure, there, there's 10% that, that we still need to learn and grow in, but uh, I would just say flip that, flip that uh, percentage and begin understanding that as a Christian, you've got 10% of Jesus figured out, and there's 90% still to, to discover and to research and to seek, so this idea of of taking your focus on Jesus to a whole new level and probably to a level that is beyond 
anyone else that you know that you're really wanting to understand who is Jesus, what did he teach, how did he live, why did he, why did he respond to questions the way that he did, how did he organize his time, and, and then trying to actually live that out in your own life is uh, one practical step that I would challenge people to do. Um, and then something you talked about, Cecil, but I just want to sort of rephrase it, is that we need to recalibrate our understanding of the kind of devotion that Jesus is looking for from us. And what he's looking for is obedience, first and foremost. So four times yes. in the John chapter 14, four times he said, whoever has my commands, my commands, Jesus, and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Four times back to back to back to his uh, 11 disciples there in John 14. So we need to recalibrate our understanding of the kind of devotion Jesus is looking at for us. First and foremost, obedience to him. That is the, the number one expression of devotion that Jesus is looking for. And then secondly, what you just mentioned, loving people. Loving people the way that Jesus loved the 12, uh, which is connected to obedience, but it, it's good to kind of break that out. And I would say that away from this idea of academic orthodoxy or um, emotion, a feeling close to God, those things aren't bad but they are not the primary expressions of devotion that, that Jesus is looking for. Well, um, I know we had one question here from uh, Dylan, and let me see if I can uh, scroll back up here and read it, and Cecil will give you a chance to respond as we're wrapping up here. Um, so Dylan asks, how does a younger or earlier in maturity uh, guy or girl rightly understand proving to be a disciple while not forgetting the slow process of discipleship, which we know takes years and is at the pace of God's grace. So how does someone who is younger in their faith and younger in their maturity um, have the right understanding of proving themselves as a disciple while at the same time understand that it's a marathon, not a sprint? Uh, one of the things that Jesus did that I think... Uh is being missed today is that he spent uh he picked uh, 11 of the best men who uh were hungry and who were willing to obey as you just mentioned and willing to grow willing to leave their careers and uh get with him he took these guys under his wing and just uh walked with them for three and a half years three years uh or so and uh some have equated that to 10,000 hours. Mm. So it seems to me that, that a, a, a baby an, an, uh, uh, or an adolescent left to itself without a parent cannot grow as well as mm. if it has guidance. And so one of the things that Jesus uh, showed is uh, he, he spent an enormous amount of time developing the tail end of his disciples. And so uh, you don't need just the tail end. You need uh, a mother and father spiritually uh, to help you from day one. And uh, I, many of our churches function as orphanages and not as families. And so I can't, I can't fix City Hall. But I would try to tell Dylan, and, and I, I think Dylan probably uh, is in, has already done some of this, 
is uh, you, you begin to lock in with an older believer while you're trying to lock in with a younger believer. Hmm. I think it's that process is, and then you end up feeding off one another and learning from one another. And uh, uh, two are better than one. You became more encouraged with one another. So I, I think that's, uh, the, and uh, community is not the end product. Uh, it's, it's a means to an end. The community is to make people into what Christ did, not not as an end in, in and of itself. And so uh, I think that uh, uh, finding that community that uh, encourages you is essential. Cecil Grant uh, asks, can discipleship happen without a one-on-one -on -one focus? Uh uh, you, you know where I'm going to go for that uh, to try to get an answer is uh, Jesus seemed to have the capacity uh, of, of selecting 12 people and he had no wife. He had no children. He had no job per se. Yeah. And he was pretty gifted. Uh, I, I like what uh, John three thirty four says that he was given the spirit without measure. Hmm. And so, uh, uh, you're, uh, you're, we, we, we want to sow broadly when it comes to non-Christians. Uh, we want to do a Bible study when it comes to growing Christians. Uh, but there's a point where that you'll need to uh, narrow in. Mm. And uh, if you've got a job and uh, et cetera, et cetera, you may want to take less than 12. Yeah, again, discipleship in my mind is living a life of devotion to Jesus which I see as being um, connected but distinct from disciple-making. And so uh, we're not going to have a chance to get into that tonight, but maybe we'll do another live with Cecil sometime in the future where we'll talk about disciple-making. I think that would also be a, a pretty fun topic to kick around with you, Cecil. Um, we've got a question here. What helps the both of you see Jesus anew when you read the Gospels? And do you change or reset your mindset? Do you change Bible versions? Cecil, let me just, before you even answer that, how many times approximately have you read through the Bible? Uh, I read through it. Uh, I read through the Bible uh, once a year, and I've been pretty consistent over my life doing that. Uh, I think I'm on my 57th time, and I, uh, and I didn't do uh, It's hard order to uh, get an exact number, but I read through the Gospels four times a year uh, uh, because I read one Gospel a day, 89 Gospels, uh, and I finish in a year, so I get four Gospels. Uh, I read through the, the, the four books four times while I read through the old ones and the new ones. All right, so I wanted to kind of give that background because you've probably read through the Bible more than than most people on this life, more than anyone that people on this live know. So, what is it that keeps the gospels fresh? How how is it that you don't um, become bored with uh, with Jesus? Because it sounds like you've probably read through the gospels maybe a hundred times, uh, may, maybe more than that, <laughs> probably more than that. Well, uh, oh, through the gospels, definitely. Yes, uh, definitely. I. I in the Old Testament, Yahweh was everything to those people. He was everything. I mean, it wasn't the temple. It wasn't the law. It was Yahweh. Uh, 
I think in the New Testament, uh, I think we uh, see Christ as, as a lamb but, uh, 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 and not a lion, but he is Yahweh. And so to not focus on, to have an incredible focus on Christ is to not have an incredible focus on Yahweh. So uh, I just, uh, he's my, he's, you know, Pilate asked him, are you king? He says, I am, but not a <laughs> will. He is, uh, and if you're the king, you, uh, you do everything that pleases the king. He is your everything. And I, I think that we have, uh, again, we, we've just, mm-hmm. we've, we've put so much other stuff in the soup. Yeah. The meat has become thin. Yeah, this is a, a simple thing that I, I would uh, offer in response to that question. But just, um, and actually something that you said to me, Cecil, years ago, you said that it's, it's hard to get the right answers if you're not asking the right questions. And so learning how to ask um, different questions, better questions as you're reading through the Gospels is something that is very helpful. Um, just a little framework that, that I use is as I'm reading through a story, and this could be Jesus or, or any story from the scriptures, um, is to ask what, so what, and now what? And it really gets, I start with what, what is it that's happening? If it's a story of Jesus healing or, or working a miracle, um, I try to imagine it as if I was trying to film this story um, as a movie. And uh, that exercise alone will bring the Bible to life in a, in a new way for you, especially as you're reading about Jesus. You try to imagine the scene, who was there, what was going on, what was the atmosphere. And so that's the what then you move into the so what. Why did Luke tell this story? Why did Jesus respond the way that he did? Um, why didn't Jesus respond differently? And then you move into the now what, which is, well, what should I do about it? What should change about my life or the way that I think based on what I'm seeing in the life of Jesus here? And the, um, the, the insights that that opens up, at least for me, I, I have found to be you know, very helpful and very encouraging. And again, if you've got the, if you've got the mindset that you're going to actually be trying to pattern your life after Jesus, um, it moves reading Jesus from being an academic exercise to a, a life essential exercise. You're really trying to find the principles that are going to guide your life mm-hmm. from the person and the life of Jesus. So uh, hopefully that's helpful. I do read different translations uh, year to year. I'm reading one that I would highly recommend that most of you probably haven't read. It's called the New English Translation, the Net Bible. This year, um, it's great. So uh, if you're looking for a translation for your next time through the Bible, I would uh, highly recommend that. Um, We'll do one or two more questions here, Cecil. Uh, Alex asks that uh, aside from intellectual pursuits or an emotional connection with Jesus being distractions for a young disciple. Uh, What are some other areas that you see young believers get caught up in that distract them from developing a full relationship with Jesus? And do you have some best practices that you would recommend? I, I am not, uh, I am not good at uh, helping young believers. Uh, I'm only good at helping young believers who want to grow. And so I, I have a, 
I've got a soldier mentality. I've had it with God, uh, and I have it with people. I mean, if God says do this, then uh, by golly, that's what I want to do. And so it's really difficult for me to, when I read the law of Moses, I see, I, I don't see the kind of grace that's being preached so strongly. It's, you know, either it, it, obey God uh, and get blessed, disobey God and get cursed. I mean, that's, it's almost an ugly way of putting it, but that seems to be the, uh, the jugular of the law of Moses. Then when you read Jesus, you know, he says, if you don't obey me, you're not my friends. Uh, hmm. When you read John 15, it couldn't be clear that there is a strong expectation. So I, I'm, I'm not good at answering those questions <laughs> because uh, I, don't, I don't operate out of a strong emotional base. I, I operate out of a discipline. Uh, he's, 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 my, he's my commander. He's my king. So I, <laughs> so I just don't know how to titillate very well. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, just one suggestion that I would give there, Alex, is, um, is, is to get them engaged with the Bible. Uh, I think the number one thing that, that distracts people, young believers especially, is just the, the, the abundance of life that we have, especially here in the West. They're, we're so affluent. Uh, there's, there's so much that we can do when it comes to entertainment, um, when it comes to activities that Jesus can just get squeezed out. And so uh, helping people establish some baseline commitments and basic commitments like um, reading the scriptures each day and just helping them build that into their life as a non-negotiable, um, maybe trying to share what they've learned with one person each day. Um, I think those are some things that can help, especially a, uh, a young believer stay on track and continue to grow. Um, so it's, it's almost baby steps that, that it, they need to stay in the, uh, the saddle long enough to, um, to get to some of those deeper topics. Um, I think we're out of time. We're going to try to keep this to uh, these, these conversations to an hour. Um, but um, Cecil, did you say earlier that today is your birthday? <laughs> I did. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> All right. Well, I did not know that, but uh, really uh, happy birthday. Thank you for uh, joining us and, and sharing your knowledge on your birthday. For those of you who are, uh, hey, Jeannie. <laughs> uh, for those of you who are joining us, um, make sure you join us next week. We're going to be doing these conversations every Monday at the same time here in February. Next week, my guest is going to be Al Engler. And we're going to be talking about reforming our understanding of church. Again, these are all going to be topics that are helping you live out the ancient faith in modern times. Today, our topic was refocusing your discipleship. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about reforming your understanding of the church. Also, uh, make sure that you are subscribed to our email list here at End of the Harvest. That's the best way to make sure that you're in the loop on uh, everything that we're up to. Um, we're always gonna be looking for ways to inspire and encourage and resource uh, ordinary believers as they try to live out their faith in the everyday places of life. So check that out. 
you can get on our email mailing list. It's free. You can go to our website, intotheharvest.org slash subscribe. And when you do that, you'll also get a couple of free resources that we've developed to help you in this area of refocusing your discipleship. So make sure you do that as soon as you hop off of this live video. Go over to the website, intotheharvest.org slash subscribe. So uh, appreciate all of you guys joining us. And we will see you next week for our conversation with Al Engler. Cecil, thanks again for being with us tonight. Amen.